It's great to see you all. Um, let me start with a short prayer. Father, we thank you for the chance to meet this evening. We thank you for freedom to have your word open in our hands. And we ask, please, that by your word, you would work in us to make us the church that would honor and glorify you. And we ask that you would grow us in our love for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. I thought I would start this evening with some reflections on lockdown. I wonder how you feel lockdown is going. Uh, two reflections from me, and particularly in terms of, of lockdown and its effect on my spiritual health and well-being. And I guess as we come to these letters and revelations uh, about uh, churches and what church should be, I guess uh, I want this uh, to help us to start to think not just individually, but also corporately. What effect has lockdown been having on the spiritual health of us as individuals and also as a church? Here are my uh, two uh, observations uh, from myself. The first one is to do with uh, formality and the danger of going through the motions during lockdown. Um, as so much of church life, it seems, has moved online, I think uh, I, I've felt that uh, there has been uh, an importance week by week to, to continue to meet and to turn up. It's been vital. And I hope you've felt that and, and, and have shared in that. But I have felt that at times it's felt like it's the next thing online. As life has been busier in some ways, and you're not going to a building geographically, um, there is a bit more time to squeeze other things in and, and up to the wire and then stop. And then it's on to the next thing, which just so happens to be church online, and then stop. And then on to the next thing, maybe something else online. And I think I've felt myself being vulnerable to, uh, to, to some sort of uh, formality, going through the motions. Um, that's the first reflection. Second reflection is that um, again, as lockdown has brought new pressures, as we've all been adjusting, getting used to, dare I say it, the positives, um, and then coping with, if, sorry, if there are positives, they're uh, getting used to those, um, but also perhaps uh, adjusting and bearing with the negatives, the downsides. Um, I've felt myself experiencing the temptation to love self more and, and found a struggle to love others uh, uh, more. Uh, or, or, or should I say it like this, I felt the temptation to love self more and to love others less, um, even in my own household. Uh, and I wonder if that has, has happened too with my church family. And it's definitely happened when I've been out and about and trying to stay two meters from other people who seem to just want to walk and hug me. Um, yeah, temptation to love self more and to love others less. Well, 
whatever happens with lockdown going forward as church, at least for a while, we will continue, I guess, to meet online. Um, what sort of church ought we to be? At present, I want us to think this evening, how is St. John's like the church in Ephesus? As we we're introduced to this uh, next section of Revelation, and as we look at um, the message that was given to the church in Ephesus. Um, let me say just a little bit about the church in Ephesus. Um, how is it like St. John's? Well, this church in Ephesus, we see from these verses, it, it had a reputation for being a faithful Bible-teaching church and, and a loving church. Um, if you'd gone into the study of the pastor, if, if it had one, a bit like Tom's office there in Ephesus on the church, if it had pictures of previous ministers, it would have been quite an incredible gallery planted by the Apostle Paul, watered and governed by John the disciple, pastored by Timothy. If they had had a website, you might have found a mission statement a bit like ours. Our, our vision at St. John's, sorry, at Ephesus, is living for Jesus and sharing his good news. We are being transformed by his grace and equipped by his word to serve in his world. That's our mission statement. But, but that's the sort of thing Ephesus would have had as a mission statement. So what was the message that was given to that church. I've broken it down into three parts. And the first part of the message is actually a picture of Jesus. We see this in verse, verse one from our reading. It's a picture of Jesus. Let me read verse one to you. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. It's a picture of Jesus and uh, the, the activity of Jesus. For the church in Ephesus, living in Asia Minor, uh, Roman ruled Asia Minor, the church must have felt small, alone, and fragile. For the early church, they professed that Jesus was Lord, but on earth, it very much looked as if Caesar is Lord. And what's revealed in this opening part of Revelation is that Jesus is Lord. He is the victor. He has won. And that is a picture, that, uh, a picture of Jesus that, that they needed. They were living for Jesus, but Jesus was out of sight. But what we see in this opening verse is that they are not out of his sight. Because what's described here, the activity of Jesus in verse 1, is that he holds the seven stars in his right hand and he walks among the seven golden lampstands. Jesus, the affairs of his church, they're very much in the hands of Jesus, the victorious Lord. And he's very much involved in the affairs of his church. Here is a global head who is in control and involved in the affairs of every single branch and outlet that is under his responsibility and in his name, the affairs of the church. Uh, he is not separated even although he is out of sight. If you don't like the idea of a global head, then think of a master gardener walking through his garden 
and inspecting and attending to everything in the garden. He is very much hands-on and present. If you like, Jesus patrols his church. I was going to start with that because it reminds me of a, a great film called Citizens on Patrol, which was part of the Police Academy um, films, five or six of them. This was number five. One and two are definitely probably the best. Five less so. Jesus is on patrol. I didn't go with Citizens on Patrol because it's just not serious enough. Jesus is on patrol amongst his churches. He is the Lord described in Revelation chapter 1. He is active and present and involved with his church on earth. And therefore, he knows all about his church and the church in Ephesus and every church. Let's read verses two and three. He says, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. You see, in the major city that Ephesus was, a commercial and religious center, this church kept going in the midst of a hostile society. Acts 19 talks about riots happening because of their presence there. They faced public opposition, persecution, and yet they continued to work and toil and patiently endure to faithfully proclaim the gospel. It says that all of Asia heard from this church the gospel proclaimed the word was going out and in acts 20 paul warned them about the danger of false teachers that false teachers would rise from within and so they were a church who defended the gospel against false teachers they endured patiently bearing uh, up for the sake of jesus and they have not grown weary this was a Bible teaching, Bible believing, gospel proclaiming church, a bit like, I think, St. John's. And Jesus commended the Ephesian church for these things in these opening verses. Do you notice in verse two, he says, um, you are those who cannot bear, you cannot bear with those who are evil. And then in verse six, something similar. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, a sect, which I also hate. To sum it up, um, they were a church who hated what was wrong. They were a church who hated what was wrong. But we see in these verses that uh, not only were they a church who hated what was wrong, they were a church who did not love the Lord as they had done before. And that, that's our second point here. We move from the picture of Jesus to a problem for Jesus. It's, it's brought to our attention in, in, in verse four, where it says, Jesus says, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. 
These Christians, they were, they were living for Jesus, but they were loving Jesus less than before. If you turn back to, to chapter 1 and to verse 6, we can see why this is so sad and why this is wrong. So in chapter 1 and verse 6, chapter 1 and verse 5, sorry, we're told that Christians are told that Jesus is the one who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom. This is what Jesus has done for the church. And yet this church, their love had cooled for Jesus. This is sad, but it happens to many. First affections often in the Christian life, they, they're lively and warm, but then over time will cool for, for different reasons. They will cool if Christians are not careful and diligent. This sort of thing was brought home to me in a deeply personal way this, this week as I was sitting reading uh, in the morning in, in the lounge and I'm usually first up and uh, Evie and Daisy often come bursting in and a couple of times this morning at the start of the week, Evie came bursting in, blasted through the double doors and turned and jumped up onto me and gave me a great hug. Two mornings running. And then on the third morning, she came running in, blast through the doors. Instead of turning left to me, she turns right to her Duplo city and goes straight over and continues building from the night before. Now, eventually I got a hug, but it just reminded me that, that, that we have different affections in our hearts. She knows dad's there, I think. But she also knows Duplo's there and she loves Duplo. Affections can cool. Affections can become divided. This church, they hated what was wrong, but they did not love the Lord as they had done before. Now, why? Well, maybe because they were so hot on Bible teaching, maybe there was an air of suspicion within the church, and maybe that had, um, that had led to love being stifled. Or, or maybe because they were so hot on the Bible and the truth, maybe they had started to take refuge in formality. Maybe they were those who had become on autopilot and, and going through the motions. Um, I wonder if this could be where we're vulnerable just now, living for Jesus, but loving him less. One commentator points out that, that this combination, the hatred of Lorong and the love for the Lord, it's strange. These things ought to go together. But he says, and I think this is very insightful, he says, in our minds, we may piously profess the one to conceal the, the decline of the other. Our, our, our concern is for the Bible being correct when actually somehow inwardly there's been a decline in our love for the Lord. And, and what 
can happen is we, we, we take refuge in formality and we keep going through the motions. We're still marked up for the Bible, but actually we'd be marked down for love. And clearly Christ is grieved and displeased when he sees this in his people. So in light of this, what, what must they do? Um, and that brings us to our third heading, a plea from Jesus. And that's in verse five. What is the plea? It involves three actions. Let's look at verse five. He says to them, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. He uses, he symbolizes their, their love and says, at the height of this church, it was marked by great love. And that's no longer the case. The verb here for remember apparently is a continuing attitude. He wants them to compare the formal state, the former state with where they are at now. Um, for his people, um, they were marked by a great love for God, by love for his people, by hard work for him, and by love for those outside the church. And he wants them to remember that former love. That's the first thing, the first part of the plea. The second part is to repent. It continues in verse 5, repent and do the works you did at first. So repentance calls for an active step. It's a radical redirection of church life. And it's a corporate response that's being called for. And then the third part of this response is just in that little phrase that comes after the word repent. Do the works you did at first. So this response ought to be seen in the Ephesian church. It's an attitude towards one another expressed in loving acts. That could be hospitality, it could be visiting, it could be serving one another. It's the doing kind of love that he's calling them to do. And notice how the plea is then reinforced. First, with, with quite a severe threat, in verse 5, if the church doesn't repent, Christ will come and remove their lampstand. It's talking about severe discipline from the one who walks among his church. And if the church doesn't take action, then Christ will. Gosh, can this really be right? Does love really matter so much? but it's all across our Bibles. God is love. It's central to his character. He calls his people to be like him. The second reading or the first reading that we had from 2 John highlights the command to love. And of course, Jesus said to his disciples when he gave them that command to love one another, he said it matters because of your witness. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples. So it's got to be absolutely central. And that, therefore, that's why the severe threat. But the good advice 
the plea is reinforced with a kind mention in verse 6. The Ephesian church must not despair. It's not written off completely. All is not lost, but action must be taken. So as we get to verse 7, verse 7 demands that we reflect on these things tonight. That even in lockdown, we are to know this picture of Jesus. Jesus is walking among his people. If we feel fragile and small, that is to reassure us and to encourage us. He is present with us. But it's also a sobering picture, an intimidating picture. He knows us completely and he knows our spiritual state tonight. And these are the things that really matter to Jesus. In what ways then is St. John's like the church in Ephesus? Is St. John's marked by a love of truth, by a love of God, his people, and hard work for him? Does this describe us tonight? Where this is true, we want to praise God. Or maybe it's time to admit to God that we're loving him less than before. Maybe tonight we feel totally spent. That wouldn't be surprising given all that's been going on. This we might feel is beyond me. Still then, it's time to admit that we've lost our love for him. But not to despair because all is not lost. Hear the promise of Jesus that we finish with in these verses. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. We want to ask together that Jesus would enable St. John's, our church, to recognize his challenge tonight to recognize our need of his help and his grace to respond. And we want to thank him that he rewards those who conquer. Let me lead us in a prayer. Father, we ask please that you would help us to consider these things to be those who hear the words of Jesus by the Spirit tonight and that you would help us to know that he is near, that he is watching, that he is with us and that he wants us to be those who conquer, who look to him for strength to battle, to remain faithful, and to be those who grow in our love day by day 
for him. Help us please to know that his grace will see us home and his grace will be enough to make us into the church that he wants us to be, where we need to remember and repent and to do the works that we did before. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.